From KAOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Michael Griffin. I often think about performing arts as power to connect diverse audiences through a live, shared experience. From grooving on the dance floor to earth, wind, and fire, or listening to Bach in a concert hall. As a person, having that duality of making people buy tickets to classical and then at night getting people to twerk on a dance floor, reconciling that took a while, but I also realized that the ultimate goal is to make people feel good through music. Whether that looks like a sonata to you or if it's Cardi B, they make you feel good and that's the whole point of music. Shalise Bristol, or DJ Crabber and Gucci, has a foot in both of these worlds. Today, she talks about her experiences finding music through the internet while growing up in Omaha, the role that DJs have in crafting and inviting space for people to hear something new, and the unlikely connection between dance and classical music. Stay tuned for our conversation after this break. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Michael Griffin. Shalice Bristol, a.k.a. Crabber and Gucci, was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska. She has been actively involved in the music community for years and has played over 250 shows since 2021. She features an eclectic mix of genres from indie rock to top 40 to house music and K-pop. Bristol won the 2022 and 2023 Omaha Entertainment and Arts Award for Outstanding DJ. Additionally, she is the assistant director of sales and marketing at the Omaha Symphony and a board member at Omaha Girls Rock. Here is my conversation with Shalise Bristol. How's it going today? How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm great. Yeah, I'm happy to be talking with you today. Uh, so I think we should just get right into it. So when I was reading your bio, it really started off by saying that you are about music and community. And I think that not only to be constituted by music and community, but to be powered by it. I think that's pretty cool, almost like a, a rallying cry. So so with that kind of as the mantra for this conversation, why don't we break down what music and community means to you? So uh, where did you grow up? Where are you from? I'm born and raised Omaha. Grew up partially in South Omaha, but I call myself a Benson girl because I went to Benson High School, moved there when I was 10, and I am Benson till I die. And so like when you were growing up in these spaces, what were some of your first relationships to music? Well, I think for me, it was kind of that era where social networks became kind of cool. Like, Mm. High school for me, like 2002, 2006, MySpace was really popular. And I had like sort of found that as my avenue to find new music around the world. Because before it was like radio was what you got. And from the radio, then it was like Napster. But you were still only driven to Napster based on the songs you heard on the radio or MTV when they still played music. Mm. Um, so having that thirst for more music really dove me into more MySpace searches of like, what are the guys playing in New York or what's going on in Brazil's music landscape? So I think for me, like I really hit it hard more in high school with searching for music um, because social networks became super popular and you can actually explore the Internet a lot more than you used to be able to in like the late 90s, early 2000s. So you were growing in the space of Benson, but your main musical pursuits and interests were outside of Omaha specifically, mm-hmm. or did you have any more local inspirations or engagement with music? Not until I, my, probably my junior and senior year of high school did I find local engagement. So that's when I could go to uh, places on the, like Maple Strip, there used to be a place called The Foundry, okay. where Hardy Coffee is currently. Hmm. And they used to have like live music and readings and stuff like that. The waiting room started up around that time too. Um, couldn't go because I was still underage. But for the most part, those were the two things on Maple Street in Benson when I was young. Uh, so being able to go to the Foundry when I was younger was cool because you got to see live music and then I would explore more and so my friends would go to Caffeine Dreams a lot and they'd have live music and so you'd go there, you'd get the reader, you'd get the City Weekly Mm. and they were pointing to all these other live shows and I was really into journalism at the time so my initial drive was to write about music and talk about music and so when I got into senior year high school is when Mm. I 
joined the reader, I job shadowed there and I wanted to do music writing and I spent some time job shadowing there and that kind of like catapulted even further into like the local music scene. But before that, yeah, I was just making CDs, mix CDs for music I found on MySpace for friends and I was venturing out more so into the rest of the world than I was locally. Aside from like your local music like Bright Eyes and Cursive and The Faint were really popular during that time and that's pretty much how deep I got locally. Mm. That's a very cool, you know, juxtaposition because when I think about journalism and when I think about the music scene, I think in a lot of ways we're taught that those might be in separate boxes, but it's cool how how that infusion is really the foundation for your relationship with music. For sure, because I mean, the biggest thing for me, like people ask like how I became a DJ, I usually akin it back to being first of all in middle school and loving songs on the radio but not wanting to wait for them to show back up because you had to wait mm. in the 90s for music to come back up on the radio. So I, that's when I was like recording like cassette tapes of all the songs that I wanted to hear. And then when mm. the internet showed up and you could download music and mm. get it online and you had more avenues like MTV to like find that music, I was making mix CDs and like MySpace, I could search more music and made mix CDs. So people were like, well, you're always listening to weird, cool stuff that I've never heard of. Like, Mm. can you make me a CD? And so I made a lot of CDs in high school for people. And so the power that I felt was that, oh, I'm in tune to what sounds good and what's cool. And I was like, well, I love writing. I love journalism. So I would really love to just tell people why a band's cool that's coming through Omaha Mm. or why you should listen to this music because it's interesting and unique. And so that's pretty much how that like catapulted that way of combining two loves of writing and also music. Yeah, that's super cool because I think when you're absorbed with culture and art and music, you know, there are steps of how do I feel, what am I experiencing, but also how can I be a part of it? And more specifically, at what level, you know? And Mm -hmm. so with that background, is that what made you in tune with DJing specifically, that background of creating CDs, of understanding some levels of engineering and searching music, as well as kind of that intersection with journalism and being in pulse with spaces? Yeah, journalism is, journalism is really how I ended up in spaces to even see DJs in person oh. for the most part. Because when I was in high school, I would definitely look up um, DJs around the country. Like there was a DJ group out of like... New York called The Misshapes that had really cool track selection and so I'd follow them and then there was like when Justice and like um, <laughs> like that though like in France when they were doing cool mm-hmm. DJ sets and then um, when Aoki was doing like Dimac Tuesdays in California back in like the early 2000s I saw DJs online doing cool stuff but mm-hmm. I wasn't really tapped in too much locally so when I started writing for the reader I was going to a lot of concerts but also would just meet people that were also going to DJ events And so I started meeting DJs. And since, again, I was still writing about music and was still Mm -hmm. deep into what I thought was cool and searching for new music and really seeking it out, all the DJs were like, oh, like, what are you listening to? Like, Mm. send me tracks. And then I was sending them tracks. And I was like, wait a minute. Why am I sending you all these tracks when I could just be doing this? So honestly, the music journalism part and being involved in journalism is really what got me in those spaces to meet the right people. And then just my love of music, what I was writing about, really just kind of led into DJing, honestly. It was like a natural progression for me. That is so cool, you know, because I think a lot of art forms have varying levels of necessary engagement with who the art is for. You know, like if they're stand-up and no one's laughing, you're monologuing, (laughs) you know. And so with dancing, I think what's really unique is the relationship of dancing and the DJ, you know, a public space where there's an environment. And and so when we kind of when we kind of think about that, how as a DJ do you deal with Nebraska dance force? <laughs> wow, what how can I say it without alienating my fellow <laughs> Nebraskans? Um I would say it's contentious at some point because mm. I feel like when you're a creative person, your ears and eyes are open to all sorts of art forms. You know, I may not be well versed in opera, but I will check out an opera show because it's an art form and I value creativity first and foremost. Um, unfortunately, I find that in a lot of not just Nebraska, but a lot of Midwestern states in particular, mm that push for creativity and that sort of investment in creativity is kind of lost amongst 
other things. It's kind of below a lot of other things. So our creative communities are very small. So with that, a lot of the people that are looking for more creative things and more art and are able to accept art in all its form without having to know what it is, Mm. is pretty small. So like to sum it up and not be like super wordy, I think that because in Omaha and Lincoln specifically, we don't have the largest creative communities who are investing in art and music and are also apt to be okay listening to something they don't know. A lot of dance floors outside of those creative communities aren't really wanting to hear things that aren't new or the, the things that are new, but they want to hear things that they know, things that are on the yeah. radio, things that are popular on TikTok, things that are popular right. like at its sporting events. So that's kind of, again, it's like I love to move a dance floor no matter what is making people happy with music, mm-hmm. but playing things that I think you should hear and people accepting it are in very small bunches of people. I don't think people that don't search out art and creativity and music are necessarily bad people, but I think that life is about new experiences. And mm-hmm. if you're only listening or looking at things that you're used to or familiar with, you're missing out on such a wide perspective mm. of the world. You're missing out on so many things that will make you feel a certain way, make you feel a different way. And I try to find that balance with certain dance floors and spaces where it's, you know, if it's College World Series... 70% might be songs that you know, mm-hmm. but 30% I'm going to weave in things you don't know. So it's just finding that balance and just kind of like kind of pulling people out a little bit like, hey, take my hand, like come here a little mm. bit, like let me pull you, like it's okay, like <laughs> like come enjoy this new thing. So Giving me Aladdin, I can show you the world energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very Aladdin. <laughs> <laughs> no, but with one thing you were saying, you know, being comfortable with something you don't know. I think that's a really cool nugget. And and I think that directly applies to dancing in general because, you know, not only is it an artistic form with songs that you don't know, but I just think there's something about accepting vulnerability, you know, with mm. I don't know this, I can be open. And I think that directly matriculates to dancing. You know, like what is wackier than trying to dance on two and four publicly? <laughs> right. <laughs> or being concerned that you're not dancing on any of the <laughs> beats, two and four, one or three or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so while you're DJing, do you find yourself checking in on the audience to make sure that they're moving? Yeah. And based off of their reactions, does that change up? the next song you have lined up? Oh, or for sure. What's that like? Yeah, I mean, that's something that I've gotten most of my compliments on is not only my ability to transition music and pick songs, but mostly just because I can read a floor. And for me, again, like me being kind of a, a snob about music, <laughs> I'll never alienate people on a dance floor because ultimately I want them to loosen up and have fun like the world's a hard place like let's Mm. let's let the dance floor be that space where we can just let a lot of things go Mm -hmm. you know um so if i'm playing an event and even if it's an event that i know i'll get people to dance or familiar faces that i know i can get them to dance if it's an event that is new or a little more public i guess and i'm coming in as like a hired dj I have like a good number of tracks that like if I don't mm. see people on the dance floor, I have enough history with them that I know it'll get them mm. to that point. <laughs> so I can knock out a lot of things like I'd say like Canned Heat by Jamiroquai will get anybody <laughs> on the sure. dance floor, like old, young. Because like even if you don't know it, just that disco beat and that mm. funk gets mm-hmm, you out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I'll try different things. So like I'll I'll try one song selection and if people aren't feeling it, I'll go into something a little bit different. And then kind of see what works, mm. whether it's like a decade that people vibe with, like 90s hip hop. People love that across mm-hmm. generations and, mm. you know, mm-hmm. demographics. So, yeah, it's just it's basically feeling people out if they're not immediately on the floor and then keeping it going. You know. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Shalice Bristol, a.k.a. DJ Crabber and Gucci. Join the conversation on social media. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. So now that we've talked about community, your relationship with art, the role that we can empower people publicly, why don't we talk about the important things? How did you get Crab Rangucci as your DJ name? <laughs> um, I feel like, oh, the story, like it's, it's one of my favorite things. Um, so because I was involved in these DJ circles in my early 20s, um, I always had like a joke DJ name list. Because <laughs> even when I wasn't DJing, DJing, 
because I had that music aptitude for song selection, mm. even after DJ events, if there was an after party, they were like, well, you've DJed, Shalice, what are you listening to? So I was like Spotify DJing and like YouTube DJing, like mm. in like the 2000 aughts. And so I was like, well, if I become a real DJ and like get decks, I'm going to have these like DJ names. And so I had like a long list of just funny ones. <laughs> yeah. Like I think the other crowd favorite was DJ G Wentworth because I want my song <laughs> request and I want it now. So... That was one of them. But Crabber and Gucci ended up on this list because I was at this restaurant in, like, Arizona. And it was, like, I think probably, like, 2010, maybe. Um, we go to this restaurant, and these Crabber and Goons were, like, I think, like, 12 or $15. Like, me being kind of a punk and a brat was, like, why are these Crabber and Goons so expensive when I'm used to, like, legit Chinese food restaurants that are like mom pa's that like I can get these for like four dollars <laughs> and I'm at this fusion restaurant not realizing in my 20s that of course it's like real crab they like hand make the dough anyway mm. so I was like Jesus like are these like 12 and 15 dollars are these luxury crab rangoon is, is this like crab rangucci and so <laughs> that ended up as like a joke DJ name for a long time and so when I started DJing officially, I wanted to go by my name. I thought Shalice was, a, I think it's, my name is a cool name. A lot of DJs just go by their first names. Mm-hmm. Like mentioning again, like Steve Aoki, like Avicii, Diplo. Like a lot of these guys kind of go by their names for the most part. So did I say Diplo? Just kidding. I don't I think that's, say, his, that's real his real name. name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why he popped in my I think his name's like Eric. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, those guys kind of go by their real names. And so I wanted to go by Shalice, but too many of my friends had known that Crabber and Gucci was on this joke <laughs> DJ list. So I'd go out, they'd drink, they'd hop on the mic, and they'd be like, give it up for Crabber and Gucci. I'm like, I did not sign <laughs> off on that being my name. And then it just kept going. And I was like, you know what? This is the best marketing like focus group that like, <laughs> I could ever ask for. And I was like, the crowd has spoken. Then, yeah, it's been like 10 years of Crabber wow. and Gucci just because of that. It's just what, joke, jokey talking smack about expensive yeah, crap that's a, that's a very <laughs> compelling character arc well it's kind of me though because i mean i'm goofy and like witty and so right. it after i have thought about it and sat on it for so long and it's been me like honestly it, it is it really it is it's witty it's goofy it's an amalgamation of a lot of different things that you would never mm. think would be put together mm-hmm. which is pretty much djing for me and so I was like, all right, that's just what it is. So now I'll just be out. I don't even have a real first name anymore. It's Crabber and Gucci. Crabber and Gucci, what's going on? Just me. Just me. Yeah, born out of spite. Becomes a people's <laughs> champion. Basically out of being a smart <laughs> aleck. Yeah, pretty much. So now that we know the origin of your DJ name, could we take a few seconds to actually break down how DJing works? You know, because DJs are interesting because we all know about them, but... You know, I don't know how much the average person actually knows of the process. And so, you know, if if we're going into a club and you see someone behind a booth with all these buttons and all these lights and all these things, like, what is the process? Is it, are you continually, like, uploading music files and then figuring out a BPM that's danceable? How, how does that work? Yeah, it's honestly, it's different for everyone. Um, I can speak for my process, but... Like other people's processes as well. Um, for me, it starts kind of with I'm always on the hunt for music anyway. And so when I have a song that I like, I usually put it in a category. Is this chill funk? Is this big room EDME? Is it club? Is it small room? So I section it off that way. So it goes into like a playlist for the most part. And then basically based on a vibe. And so when I have an event that comes up, I look at these playlists and these songs and I go, will this fit kind of the vibe that will work for what I'm going for and what the crowd, you know, will want to hear and then what the dance floor wants when they're on the floor. So what a DJ actually does with that is once they take the music, they figure out basically how to flow it together. You have some DJs who let a song play out and then they'll carefully select another song that sounds good, especially if they're doing straight records vinyl. Mm. Um, But the ultimate point is to pretty much select music, make it flow together in a seamless way, not to disrupt a dance floor, but make it very intentional. And a lot of the times it is BPM. So it's, you know, how many beats per minute is a song? And how can I keep a dance floor going to these beats per minute while also increasing it? 
decreasing it without people stopping and saying like what was that <laughs> like right. like going from like James Brown to Britney Spears might be a little <laughs> wonky for some people but like it's kind of keeping that pace and that energy of the song so a lot of the times DJs are loading and they're dropping in a track on one side of the deck and then they're watching the dance floor and they're picking another song of what will fit that same vibe what'll fit that same rhythm what'll keep the energy up or keep it the same or bring it down if it's been too high for a while and then just mixing those tracks together usually by keeping the bpm the same sometimes with effects sometimes even with messing with bass and treble it's a lot Mm. of the knob thing is a real thing because djs are actually like doing stuff when you see them up there they're like making minute changes like is the bass in this song going to be too high for this next song is it going to be too many high claps that'll interfere with these claps. A lot of it's just very minute changes, so it doesn't disrupt your attention on the dance floor. And that's kind of the mark for me as a true DJ is, am I playing a set that I can keep people on the floor for as long as possible, but also mm. not kill them with, like, <laughs> <laughs> sweating to keep death? Dancing. Keep dancing. So, yeah, that's the technical thing is basically it's a lot of, like, queuing up tracks together, making sure they match in BPM vibe energy, but making sure that some of the frequencies don't clash either because... I mean, pretty sure people have been on a dance floor and they've been like, this doesn't sound right. I can't put a finger on why it doesn't mm. sound right, but now my, I'm distracted <laughs> and now I want to leave to get more things to drink and we'll come back when it sounds good again. So, Absolutely. And so given that, you know, we don't want to hold DJing as a craft into one one box, I know there are other avenues aside from strictly dancing where DJs will have gigs or you know if there aren't uh does that does that process change dramatically if you're doing background music at a gig as opposed to a really cool new year's eve dance party oh yeah for sure so i um it's funny that you mentioned that so back in march i did a recorded dj set for wp engine uh they like run wordpress basically they have a conference every year and they wanted to record a dj to splice in some of the breakouts online and it was going to be shown online so i was djing with no one in the room it was just a camera guy and another camera guy and some lights and it was just me for like an hour and a half djing um, so for me, that process is interesting because I'm fueled by people on a dance floor. Mm. Um, but when I'm not fueled by people on a dance floor, I'm pretty much like, okay, I kind of can play all the things that I want to play mm. and things that people don't really know. So that it, it goes from that 70-30 to that like 80-20 and 80s me playing what mm. I think people should hear because there's nothing that I have to like tend to other than just music that sounds good to me that's my personal interest that I think flows well together and it doesn't have to be to keep feet moving. Um, So yeah, it's a little bit more selective on my part when I don't have a dance floor to actually have to play for. Right, right. And so, you know, with indie rock to top 40 to house to K-pop, do you actually listen to most of the music that you play when you're out? Oh yeah, for sure. So that's, it goes back to like, again, in high school, like I was just seeking out music. Music was such a... Mm a source of comfort for me, like a place to, like a way to expand my eyes beyond the world that I knew and to open my eyes up to, you know, things in the world that were going on in different fusions. And so a lot of the stuff, when I say I play K-pop, it's like, I listen to K-pop. When I play Brazilian Mm -hmm. Samba, I listen to Samba. When I listen to, I listen to French rap, like all that stuff finds its way into my sets because I like to listen to it. That is so cool. I think it's awesome. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it can be there can be a temptation to deconstruct the the humanity behind music in a lot of ways when we categorize, you know, but what does it mean when when it matriculates through our soul and we feel it on a day to day? And, you know, with that in mind, how how do you search for music? How do you update your database, your pool? Is it like a daily like meditation where it's OK, today I'm going to search for this. this, this. <laughs> <laughs> Is it algorithms? What drives that? It depends. I do sequester time on purpose throughout the week to search out new music. Um, If I know that I have a certain event coming up that's going to require a kind of music or a certain type of music, I'll spend like weeks leading up to that picking out new music. Um, But for me, just as a music lover, it's every day I'm listening to music. So if I know that a new album's out, I'm going to listen to it and pick and choose what songs I like or what will work for certain events. Again, do that 
find that track that I like, put it into a playlist and be like, this will work for this kind of event and for this other event. Um, I use like main streaming services. I use like Bandcamp to find new people and also support them as well by giving them money that's not just streaming. Uh, SoundCloud, just everything. TikTok videos that are popular. Mm -hmm. If I hear a song, I'm like, whoa, like that's interesting. Like I want to hear this whole song. So I just seek it out and find it everywhere. Are you able to casually listen to music? Yes, but I've gotten to this point where I casually listen to music. It's music that quiets that loud part of my brain. Mm. So it's like more nostalgia or certain like playlists that are more easy listening. Like I get kind of like in the zone most days where I just want to hear some like folky like iron and wine like just to like vibe out to where it's like I don't have to fully listen to the lyrics but just the sound of it is good or I have playlists that are like 48 hours long that are nothing with vocals in it it's all instrumental like beeps and boops and you know things like that so casually yes but a lot of it is kind of either nothing with words in it or it's things that just are nostalgia that I've heard a million times that just calms me because I don't have to focus too much on it I'm talking with Shalice Bristol, a.k.a. Crab Gucci, about finding her way to DJing in Omaha and what classical music can teach us about pop. Stay tuned for the rest of the conversation after this break. If you're enjoying the type of content you get here at Riverside Chats, conversations that go in-depth on art, politics, and everything in between, please consider becoming a supporter of the show. You can find a link in the show notes that allows you to give a recurring or single amount, whatever you're comfortable with, whatever you think the show is worth, which maybe is nothing. In which case, ouch, if you think this is a valuable part of your week, then we would appreciate the support so we can continue to give you the quality that you came here for in the first place. Thank you for considering supporting Riverside Chats and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Michael Griffin. You can subscribe and hear previous episodes of this show on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite app is. Today I'm talking with Shalice Bristol, a.k.a. Crabber and Gucci, about the Omaha music scene, what it's like trying to be a DJ in a town without a large nightlife scene, and why you should never request songs on the dance floor. Here is the rest of our conversation. So you speak about preparing uh, with new spaces, kind of going through particular music to prepare for a gig. Are there other forms of practice? Because I feel like a lot of the times when we when we think about Music and practice, it's typically practice your scales. <laughs> yeah. Practice long tones on saxophone. <laughs> so is there a DJ equivalent to that for you as far as transitions and all that fun stuff? Yeah. Like, so sometimes I'll, it's not as much as it used to be because I've been doing it for so long. But for the most part, what I'll do is if there's, if there are tracks that are funky, like they're not. I don't, music like they're not quantized or they've got a lot of like real instruments that are going to be kind of funky to kind of mix in I'll kind of just do it at home so I'll just practice with that particular track into another track when I occasionally make mixes that I upload I kind of use that as practice time just to kind of mess around with tracks too um, also listening to the songs and finding cue points of where I want to start things like especially with like mm. older songs they have like intros or people that are doing vocals or like yeah or like if it's soul there's going to be like 
little bit more of like a funky intro that doesn't actually align with the beats of the rest of the song. So sitting with those and also just saying, okay, I'd like to start it maybe here. I'll cue that track mm. or that part of the track. I'll cue another part of the track. So when I actually take it into a live setting, I can see, okay, I cued it at this point. I mm. cued it at this point just to make it an easy mix when I'm actually doing it. Yeah. To be able to have some intentionality. Mm-hmm for the energy to jolt to the dancers. Exactly. Or so or to make it se- it's more seamless right. when it's on the dance floor too. Right. Um sometimes if there's a track that I pull to from like SoundCloud or like even Bandcamp sometimes that I can hear that some things are off from the mastering of the track, like if the treble's too high or the vocals are too high, sometimes I'll even take that track into like a audio sort of studio mm-hmm. and kind of re finagle it a little bit to make mm. it get to where I think it sounds better so that way I don't have to do that live in the scene too by address like a- adjusting anything in an equalizer so there's a lot of like extra little things to kind of make it happen but absolutely and I guess when thinking about those extra little things for different spaces I could imagine you know if it's a giant outdoor venue as opposed to a smaller bar there mm-hmm. might be different levels of adjustments necessary and so Typically, when you're gigging as a DJ, what level of detail does the venue give you as far as the size of it, the acoustics, the setup, (laughs) or is it kind of just going in like, I will just figure this out when I get there? It depends because like... um, if I Sometimes I do gigs where I'm bringing in sound, so I'll try to see like what the venue capacity is, what the building's made out of, if it's like pure cement, if I have to mess with acoustics or things like that, if I have to like orient speakers a certain way. That's personal. But if I go to a venue where I'm just hired to be a DJ, for the most part, they have sound engineers and mm. I trust them to make the room sound good. The only thing that I will do is if there's a particular track that I know is like very hi-hat heavy or can get tinny, I'll make adjustments to that on the fly. But for the most part, like if there's sound engineers at venues, I let them handle that. Like Mm. they know their room. They know how it's supposed to sound. They know how it'll hit people in different spaces. I'm not trying to get into all that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Some things you just back away slowly from. I I mean, I'm a DJ and I have some audio knowledge, but there are people that get paid to do that for a reason and let them do their job. So It really is beautiful how much collaboration, so many different moving parts we have with creating a space, you know? And I think about space a lot and how different spaces have different levels of expectations of how you express yourself. And to me, you know, there are not spaces that have more varying ideas of expression than a dance floor or classical music. (laughs) You know, I think that we're kind of taught those are two different boxes. But I also know that you have a lot of involvement with the Omaha Symphony. So could you speak about maybe what you do there? Yeah. So I'm technically assistant director of sales and marketing. So my job down to boiled down is basically convincing people to buy tickets and <laughs> and making them realize why the symphony is cool, why classical music should be protected and experienced by everyone. And um, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. It's, it's a, another labor of love when it comes to music. Classical is not really a world that I'm a part of or was a part of before I got into it. Um, just just your basic hits, your, you know, Beethoven ninth, you know, your... <laughs> Mozart's records just that's really that's just about it um but for me it was a challenge in that reason because I know so much music and that was a rabbit hole that I was thrilled to go down but also help with being a lay person (laughs) (laughs) outside of classical music to give kind of that that edge of like hey like you guys are all involved in this but like me coming into it as a new person I can give you the perspective on what would make me buy tickets to a classical Mm. performance so absolutely and one thing that I really I really appreciate it. You said making sure we protect classical music. Could you dive into that a little more and what you mean? Yeah, I think for me, all of us have some kind of experience in classical, not realizing that it's classical. Um, I feel like most of us, if not, a, I, I would say honestly, most of us have probably had some experience with playing an instrument in elementary school or middle school. Like I played clarinet, stopped because I thought rock music and DJing was way cooler, so I didn't continue (laughs) on. But most of us have some experience in that realm with learning an instrument. Um, Also with it being in movies and how 
it's a score, but it's still classical music. And that is what drives that movie. Mm. Like you can't think about Star Wars without Imperial March or you can't think about Jurassic Park without like that first like, you know, intro score when you see the dinosaur. Mm. Um, But also just because it's such an ancient historical form of music, like it was pop music for (laughs) hundreds of years. And I think that it should be protected for that reason, but I also think it should be protected because it alienated a lot of people within those hundreds of years. And I think Mm. that other people outside of like legacy European men, you know, for hundreds Mm. of years should be able to experience why it's beautiful and how like wood and like resin and Mm. all of that created so many instruments is just cool. And I think that that's why it's an art form that should be really honestly treasured and be available for everyone and protected so everyone can experience it. Mm. Mm, Definitely. All I need is wood and resin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you think about how many, like, just with wood, you have a viola, you have, uh, you know, mm. like, bass. You ha- It just, that to me is, like, the historical ways of how, like, those instruments were created and how full things were, like, full symphonies were built from really just, like, natural elements, right? You know, mm. older flutes were, like, wood, I think. Mm-hmm. Or, like, there's, like, crystal flutes. You know what I mean? Like, that's just, to me, is wild, so... Like I mentioned earlier, you know, clubs, symphony, those seem like two sides of the same coin, but also maybe different. And in symphonies, you're not supposed to cheer. I've been told repeatedly. (laughs) You can cheer just at the end. (laughs) At the end. You're not supposed to cheer throughout, I've been told. Yes. And at dance floors, you're supposed to twerk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, two sides of the same coin. You're not wrong. And so for you, do you ever feel tricky balancing those as a person in different hemispheres or does it feel like those two worlds build upon each other with how you pursue your craft oh yeah i mean um i say yes in two ways i'd say as a person having that duality of like day job of you know making people buy tickets to classical which can be kind of considered for sort of like an elitist Mm. or very um old form of entertainment with music um, and has a certain clientele to it. And then at night, you know, like you said, getting people to twerk on a dance floor or partying or like students at College World Series, like getting drunk and dancing, like um, reconciling that took a while. But I also realized that, again, the ultimate goal is to make people feel good through music. Mm. And whether that looks like you know, a sonata to you, or if it's Cardi B, like <laughs> they make you feel good. And that's the whole point of music. Like not everything is made for everyone, but if you find your passion and that way of feeling good in either kinds of music or any kind of music, that's the whole point, right? So that's kind of how I reconcile those things. Um, on the other hand though, as a DJ and as someone who works for a symphony and has an understanding of how symphonies are built and crafted or how they were built and crafted as to what you were saying. Like you're not supposed to cheer between movements because the whole point is that you're on this journey of Mm. you're hearing a first movement or you're hearing when you're hearing the first movement, the maestro or the composer is taking you on a journey. And so the clapping kind of disrupts that in between movements. It's supposed to bring you in and keep you going. Then when you feel the full experience and it's done, that's when you clap because you got to experience like basically like people talking during a movie kind of disrupts the movie. Right. So you're not supposed to cheer or clap during move or during a performance or a symphony between movements until the end. And it's kind of with dancing on a dance floor. Right. It's like if you're dancing on a dance floor, DJ, your maestro, your conductor, your composer is taking you on a journey and is trying to get you, you know, feel certain things throughout it. It'll make you feel elated, make you feel like, you can take on the world, make you like reflective, make you want to twerk. And that's why DJs don't like requests because <laughs> we're taking you on a journey. So that's how they kind of overlap for me is that, you know, it is that point of music is supposed to move you and you not move it. And classical and DJing are kind of the same to me. So it sounds like regardless of the hemisphere, some core principles are that it's storytelling. Mm-hmm. And that it's collective from the listener mm-hmm. or the person in the audience that is engaged. And, uh, you know, when we think about engagement and and community and art in different hemispheres of music, I, I often think about, you know, how can we go forward? 
how can we make more people involved at all levels and at all ages? And I think that one organization that really epitomizes that is Omaha Girls Rock. And I know that you uh, are affiliated with them. And so maybe number one, could you describe what Omaha Girls Rock is? Yeah, so Omaha Girls Rock is an organization that's been around for over 10 years. Um, There are a lot of Girls Rock camps across the country. And it basically they were started um, empowering young women now moving towards more, you know, femme identifying, but also non-binary youth to be empowered through music and education, but also to basically show that you don't have to look a certain way. Mm. If you think about rock music as a whole, the demographic and like the gender is pretty predominantly one way. And so girls rock camps were kind of started to say, hey, like just because you don't look like that or you're not that way doesn't mean that you can't be a rock star. Um, So Omaha Girls Rock, I'm on the board, but I was also a longtime volunteer with them um, as a female or femme identifying DJ in Omaha. They really wanted to say like, you see all these men that are on stage DJing, like let's get you in so the girls can see, you know, what that looks like. And then within the last year they said, do you want to join our board? Like you are entrepreneur in business music and then you're also work for a music organization. Like, why don't we get you involved? And so that's yeah, great. You can't be what you can't see. So I love being <laughs> that for the girls and um, and also anyone not identifying as neither, as non-binary. And I think that it's a great organization. And what age ranges are typically in it? It's usually like late elementary to like early high school for the most part. Um, I believe the ages are 6 to 14. Um, but they have summer camps. Usually that's a popular one, and that just teaches songwriting, poster making, Mm. learning an instrument, and then presenting these things at the end of camp and kind of showcasing. And then they also provide tutors as well. Like if you'd like to hire a tutor to come to your home or you come to a space and you want your, you know, child to learn ukulele or, you know, drums, Mm. you can also hire a tutor for that. And there's also mini showcases and sort of like flea markets throughout the year. So it's, yeah, it's just getting, you know, the youth involved and empowered to really like speak their truth and raise their voice. And it's pretty rad. Could we expect an Omaha Girls DJ at some point? Trying to. It's been in it's been in talks. It's unfortunately DJing is not um picking up a violin and a bow, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Teaching scales or, you know, those kind of things. But I think it can happen. It'll take a lot of labor of love and I'd love to see it because I know that there are a lot of, you know, youth out there, um, that really want to get involved. Um, so we'll see what happens. I, I'm right. pushing for it, but it'll take a lot of work. <laughs> if you're just joining us, I'm talking with Shalice Bristol, a.k.a. Crab Rangucci. Join the conversation on social media. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. And now that we're on the DJ train again, you mentioned this earlier, like a, a cardinal sin is requesting a song. <laughs> is there any proper etiquette for our listeners out there that might feel compelled to... Don't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hear Fleetwood Mac or something? Um, I think the number one rule is honestly um, trust your DJ, to be honest. <laughs> um, because a lot of the times they've been doing this longer than you know and they've also been playing to more dance floors than you've been Mm. a part of and I also tell people in the nicest way that like the dance floor is a large group of different people that want to hear different things and they may not it's not your (laughs) dance floor (laughs) and so I think it's really reading the room you know I, I have people that do make good requests like I've had a few times where I'm like oh that would actually work here or they know where I'm going and they'll request it and I'm like that's about to happen next gotta trust your DJ Um, but also realizing that is a craft that people spend a lot of time on and Mm. I've jokingly said this and I'll say it and it may be kind of (laughs) snarky but like if you want to hear songs on command you have Spotify you have Apple Music you can you literally listen to those things but again it goes back to the beginning of the conversation like allow yourself to hear something new and let someone take you on a journey and not have control and you might find yourself inspired by something new you know absolutely and so yeah don't (laughs) (laughs) to the point that you were saying I think that we should remember the 
the intellectual vigor that goes into being a DJ. Yeah, well, because not everyone is into music like mm-hmm. DJs are. Not everyone's into sculpting like sculptors are mm-hmm. or, you know, film like film students are, right? And so you kind of have to realize that just because you hear songs on the radio or you have the songs that you like, we're, again, we're playing to several different people at a time and we know what works so we know what's going to sound good. I think, like, the most egregious one I get is, like, I'm playing a club and I'm playing mostly, like, fun hip-hop and, like, R&B and someone will come in with, like, an ABBA request. (laughs) And it's not that I don't love ABBA. I will end the night on some ABBA. (laughs) But if it's, like, 11 p.m. at a packed bar (laughs) with 22-year-olds and Blackstone... Again, it's like read the room first, dude. It's like it's also not a wedding, like so. It's again, it's just allowing yourself to just you know let someone else have control and trust that DJ that plays to crowds all the time to know it's going to work. And then yeah, again, and if there's a song you really want to hear, you can ask. Some DJs are fine with hearing the request, but also, dude, just like don't you know, like it's cool. It's tricky to release control, like mm-hmm. in all regards. And so when we think about control, I think a lot about, you know, where are we going? Where's time and space going, you know? And so how do you view the future of DJing with how streaming is changing, with how tech is changing, how we all have Spotify in our phones? Where do you see DJing in five years? Well, I think it's going to be less of a scary um, thing to start doing. Like there's a lot of companies that are now, um, what is it called, sort of like a combining tech with Mm. DJing. So if you don't necessarily want to buy a million tracks to get started, they're doing combinations where you can stream title tracks or Mm. Spotify tracks onto a DJ deck. Mm. And so I think it's just, it's a lot less cumbersome for people to get started. So I think that's a bigger thing. I'm also seeing a lot of trends of like more women and again, like non-binary people getting involved in DJing. So there's whole... um, groups of people that are really just focused on propelling women producers women djs getting you know young people involved in producing even because that's another side of djing that can be kind of scary and cumbersome for people to get into so i think for me the future that i see is just getting more people able getting more people involved and not be so like tricky and scary you know what i mean Mm. because it used to be kind of elitist like you had to be like a dude that like bought vinyl and like you had to have like a certain kind of like you know setup and then you had to learn how to like beat match by ear and then like it just it, it's gotten easier over time for people to at least have fun with it and not become like you don't have to be a superstar dj if you don't want to but if you still want to get into it and learn the basics and how to have fun with it i think doors are just opening a lot easier for people for that so That's what I see, and it makes me happy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think anytime there's less barriers of entry, it's good. And I think especially, you know, DJing, if you mess up, that's 50 people looking at you. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. Some people just want to learn how to do it and not um, have, like, eyes on them. And I think that sometimes that would maybe scare people into even spending money on a decent setup. Mm. But like now I think it's easy if you want to just get into it a little bit, then you can, you know? So that's what I like about it. Um, Cause yeah, I, I like more door, doors open. I don't like things that are super elitist. So I think the whole point is for everyone to have a good time with right. music and just let everyone do that. <laughs> right. And with that line of thinking, do you have any advice on having people feel more comfortable dancing to DJs? Um, One of the best pieces of advice that I heard is that no one is looking at you. Like, (laughs) I think I can't remember the exact words, but the the ultimate thing is that, like, you think people are paying more attention to you than they really are. And so if you just go out and you have fun and not worry about other people, just do it. No one cares. Like, not on my dance floor. Like, Mm. if, if I see anyone judging, then you're out because that's not the point. It's for everyone to let loose and have fun. So I would say, number one, yeah, no one's really looking at you, and it's okay. Um... Or when you start to see a few people get on the floor, that's when you hop in because then they have more people to distract. Right. <laughs> so, you know, to, yeah. so, yeah, just, you know, or, you know, I have kind of introverts that uh, some people will dance at home, mm-hmm. you know, and that'll kind of get them a little bit more loose. But, yeah, I think people are just worried that they're getting looked at and honestly, no one's really looking at you. So. Absolutely. The older I get, the more dance like no one's watching. Yeah. Really, it's just like. 
it's it's to me i it's this like the worst way to put it but like it, it's a dance floor. like we're not launching nukes here like <laughs> there's no reason to be super stressed about it like just have a good time be happy and like enjoy yourself because it's supposed to be stress-free that's the place where you relieve your stress and your anxieties so just you know just do it absolutely so now that we've talked you know how folks can get involved in DJing. We've spoken about how folks can get involved in dancing. Where are they, where, when can they get involved in dancing to you, DJ? What well, are some events you have coming I'm on up? social media, so you can follow me, at Crabber and Gucci. Um, <laughs> <laughs> usually that, yeah, that's pretty much it. But I have a residency at Bar 39 in Blackstone, usually once a month, for everyone below the age of, like, 25. That's a great <laughs> place to go. Um, I do a lot of events with the Omaha Performing Arts that are coming up, so... I'll be doing like a hip hop lab, judging that, um, and then also doing college world series at Slowdown June sixteenth. Um, I'm everywhere, honestly. That's not even a plug. Just follow me on Instagram <laughs> because I'm everywhere. <laughs> Are there any upcoming events with Omaha Symphony that we should be aware of? Oh, so our season is about to end in the uh, our single tickets on sales in August, and that starts our first show starts September twenty third, July fourth. We're doing Gene Leahy Mall, free concert in the park. Um, so the symphony will be there. There'll be a fireworks show, multimedia display at the riverfront, and that'll happen around sundown. So that'll be a free one. But then, yeah, our season starts in September. We got an amazing season. Awesome. And lastly, are there any Omaha Girls Rock events coming up? Ooh, so there's going to be a summer showcase in July. That'll be awesome. And then just pop-ups. I will push them follow them more than follow me on social media look up omaha girls rock but yes there's a summer so summer showcase the campers that learn all the things throughout june and july will do a performance as well and i have perhaps the most important question of the interview as well as my life right now <laughs> what's your favorite dance move um oh there's a big old club and a circle and you get pushed in the middle no what are you one's doing? ever asked me that and i honestly have no idea because i mean <laughs> that's tough i'm really upset now because i have no idea um i don't know because i love a good twerk so it just depends <laughs> on how many people are in there um a good, a good twerk or like a good like what is it called when you do like your arms out and you're like cabbage patch yeah i love a good cabbage patch uh -huh. that's usually a fun one or just like a little shimmy uh -huh. yeah that's about it and then i'm like okay i have to you know get other people to do it with me <laughs> it might turn into an electric slide at that point so. <laughs> awesome well thank you so much for joining us and i've had a blast yeah thank you for having me Riverside Chats was created by Tom Noblock and is a production of 91.5 KIOS Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowicz. Remember, you can find the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get podcasts. Thank you for listening. I'm Michael Griffin. Side of town, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. I